Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, work time. Work time. Now, I love the Olympics, and I think my favorite event is the 1500 meters. Well, actually, I wish it was still the mile, but um, showing my age, I expect. Do you know who those are? Anyone who knows who they are? Roger Bannister there, just winning. Just about, it's about 3 minutes 59.6 at that moment. He's just about to get the four-minute mile. At least that's what it told me on the internet when I was looking for the right picture. I hope I got the right one. You can put me right afterwards. But anyhow, there you are. It's the, it's the 1,500 meters or the mile. And so they all, the, they all set off, and they run the first lap in about... 60, 62 seconds. It's a bit of a jog for them. They run the second lap in about 60, 62 seconds. It's a jog for them as well. And the third lap maybe a little bit faster. And then suddenly, about 300 meters before the end, someone starts to sprint. And they all sprint like mad. And the person who set off first... If he set off too soon, he's going to get overtaken, isn't he? And, you know, if, if they set off too late, they don't win. If they set off too early, they don't win. They've got to get their timing exactly right. And... Um, it's not just what you do, but it's when you do it that is very important and makes the difference between winning and losing. Have I got a lot of echo, or is it just me? Uh, uh, at least I'm listening to my voice. I'm not enjoying it, but I can hear it. Anyhow, Solomon tells us here in Ecclesiastes 3 that um, life is just like this. There are things you have to do, but there's the right time to do them. And wise living means doing the right thing at the right time. It reminds me of the joke. Being Irish, I can tell Irish jokes. Uh, I don't understand them being Irish, but I can tell them. <laughs> but the Irish are so jealous of the Americans because the Americans have been astronaut on the moon. Oh, so they announced that they're going to put an astronaut on the sun. <laughs> well, the Americans say, you can't do that. He'll get burnt to a cinder. And the Irish government says, oh, we thought about that. We're going at night time. <laughs> you know, timing is all important. We need to do the right work at the right time. And Solomon tells us two things about this. In, verse, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, he tells us there is a time for everything. And then in verses 12 to 15, he tells us there's work that we do and work that God does. So there's a time for everything, and there's work that we do and work that God does. So let's look at these two things um, briefly. And um, I say briefly because I'm conscious of the time, because I'm talking about time. So verses 1 to 11. First of all, the time of your life. 
actually it's not only the time of your life, it's also the time of your death. And Solomon gives us this famous poem. And back in the 60s, the birds turned it into a pop song. Turn, 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 you might know it. And many books have taken phrases from this poem and they've used it as the titles of their books. And there are 14 pairs of opposites. It starts with um, life and death, time to be born, time to die, and it ends with war and peace. And it covers just about everything in between. But this poem has an introduction, that's verse 1, and a conclusion, verses 9 to 11, before it moves on to the application about what we do in the time we have, verses 12 to 15. So first of all then, the introduction, verse 1. We have opportunity and responsibility. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, this is the introduction. Things change. There's a time for everything. I can distinctly remember my first day at senior school. Going there with long trousers for the first time and thinking, I've got to be here for seven years. Seven years. I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to be able to do it. It's such a long period of time. Seven years. It would never be over. But you know what? <laughs> Looking back, it's, it's gone with a flash. Um, and I finished. I was free. I can remember my last lesson just as well as I can remember my first day. I was glad. I, I think the school was glad as well. But I was glad. There's a time for everything. Times change. doesn't stand still. Some people don't want to get old. They don't want to be 30 <laughs> or 50. But they can't stop it. Remember asking my niece when she was about to be 30, I said, are you upset about being 30? She said, no, the only alternative is that I die in my 20s. <laughs> you can't stop these things. Youth goes. Old age arrives. We try to hold on to the past, but we can't. The sun will rise tomorrow. There will be a new day tomorrow. There will be new challenges tomorrow, new opportunities tomorrow. We can't hold on to yesterday. We have to let go. But also there are new responsibilities, a season for every activity under the heaven. Not only opportunities, but responsibilities. We have to do the right thing at the right time. So you don't crack silly jokes around your grandmother's deathbed. And you don't light a cigarette when you're filling up your car with petrol. You just don't. There are responsibilities. There's a right time and a wrong time. Now, this fact that there's a season for every activity, that things change, can be very painful because we don't want things to change. We don't like change. We like things just to stay as they are. Especially as church. Have you ever noticed this? We like things to stay exactly as they are. We have our precious 
traditions, and when they get replaced by things we're not used to, <gasps> it's horrific. When I was at Lansdowne, we were going to introduce what we called streams. So because lots of people traveled to come to the church, we thought we'd make the most of the time when people were there. So we would have a morning service from 10 o'clock till 10 past 11. Then we would have coffee for 25 minutes. And from 11.35 through to 12.25, we would have streams, four different streams. You could go to a Bible study stream. You could go to a practical life skills stream. You could go to a new Christians or new to the church stream. Or you could go to a family stream. Uh, or you could go to a devotional, uh, discuss the sermon, pray together stream. We had these different streams going. But in order to do that, we had to move the time of the morning service from 10.30 to 10 o'clock. And I can remember the church members meeting when we were discussing moving the time of the church service. And I said, well, look, it was 11 o'clock once. You moved it to 10.30. Oh, yes, but we had to do it in quarter of an hour increments. <laughs> it was, change is terribly difficult. Anyhow, we don't like change. I my, lost my place in my notes. But God gives us new opportunities. And we have the responsibility to do the right thing at the right time. Opportunity and responsibilities. There's a time for everything. A season for every activity under the heavens. And then secondly, verses 2 to 8, we have variety and balance. Uh, life is not dull. It is full of variety. It's a bit like a sweet shop, isn't it? But life is not simply a load of different things like the rubbish at the tip. No, it has variety and balance, like two children on a seesaw. So there's a time to be born and a time to die. My sister, youngest sister, had her last baby on the kitchen floor. Uh, she had told the doctor she wanted to have the baby at home, and the doctor said, well, you have to find a different doctor. I'm not willing to have any of my patients having home birth. So she said, all right, I'll go to a hospital. But labor came so quick, <laughs> and they called for the ambulance, and the ambulance came and delivered the baby on the kitchen floor. And the doctor was very suspicious she had done that deliberately, but she just couldn't wait. There's a time to be born, and that's it. You know, you, you, don't, you don't hang on. You know, okay, it may be, um, you know, Friday the 13th or April Fool's Day or something, but you, that's it. Baby comes. There's a time to be born. And it's the same about death. You cannot put it off. When I had been and working in the operating theater in Nazareth for just three or four weeks, there was a fight and some lads, two sides of the family had had a, a, a mini battle. And four people were killed. And the 18-year-old boy, he was on the operating theater, rushed into theater, and he looked up at us and he said, Doctor, I don't want to die. And he died. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. Well, we have time to plant and a time to uproot. And um, we pity the farmer who gets these things the wrong way around, don't we? Yeah, you know, you reap at harvest time and only then 
And only then, if you have sown the seed at the right time, there's a time to do these things. You can't choose when to do it. You know, if you're a farm and you say, well, I want to go on holiday at harvest time, I'll, I'll collect it later, you'll find it's all gone rotten. You have to do it at the right time. And then there's a time to kill and a time to heal. In Solomon's day, as in some countries today, there is a time to execute criminals. And there's a time to rescue people from the sea or to uh, give people mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation or um, to ha have a life-saving operation or something. There's a time for these things. And um, then there's a time for all these different things. And the list goes on. And in your life, you're going to have times when you're loved and times when you're hated. Times when you look for things and a time when you give up looking for things. It's going to be a time when you cry and a time when you laugh. You will have birthday parties and you'll have funeral services. Life is full of variety and balance. Which leads us to the third sub-point. We have the burden of nothing. Zero. Look at verses 9 and 10. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He says, when you add it all up, when you put it all together, it equals nothing. So when Bill Gates dies, someone will ask, how much did he leave? And the answer is, all of it. You can't take it with you when you go. Ask Tutankhamun. He was buried with millions of pounds worth of treasures. But he left it all behind. This is a heavy burden. At the end of the day, everything equals nothing. Your birth is cancelled out by your death. Your rejoicing is cancelled out by your mourning. If you do happen to have more of something, it's cancelled out at your death too. You brought nothing into this world and you take nothing out of this world. Everything equals one big zero. <laughs> Encouraging, isn't it? All your studying, all your hard work, all the battles you fought, all the stresses you bore, and at the end of it, it equals nothing. It's as if you have to paint uh, a white wall and you get the paint of red for you and orange for your studies and yellow for your family and green for experience and blue for sadness and indigo for suffering and violet for old age and you mix it all together and all you have is white paint. Everything equals nothing. It all is cancelled out. So... Fourthly, we're told we have a lovely time, but a limited time. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Everything is beautiful in its time. See a rainbow. See a sunset. Go to a wedding. See a newborn baby. Your time at university. Your time at work. Retirement. Retirement. 
It's all lovely. It's all to be enjoyed. But it won't last forever. You marry your sweetheart. But one day she will die. You get your perfect job. But one day someone else is going to have it. However much you love life, you too will have to leave it. And yet something screams at us that death is a thief. It's robbing us because we aren't meant to die. We are meant to live. We have eternal souls. God has set eternity in our human heart. We have eternal souls. Our bodies age, but we still feel young. You think that 70 years is plenty, but when you're 69, you tend to change your mind. So however beautiful or lovely life is, it isn't enough because we want eternity. We want to live forever. And this is why the gospel is so vital and why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important because the only hope for mankind is that Jesus Christ has conquered death and gives eternal life. This is what we crave for. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. We need something to conquer death because although everything is beautiful, it's not enough because we have that sense of eternity in our hearts. And so fifthly, we are ignorant of before and after yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We're time-bound. Even if we could fathom the whole of history from Adam to the last day, yet still we wouldn't get the whole picture. What was God doing before? What does God do after? We have the time of our life. It can be lovely and beautiful, but it all adds up to nothing, and it's not enough. If you ever saw the film, As Good As It Gets, with Jack Nicholson, I have to confess I quite like the film. He walks into his psychiatrist's office. Well, he doesn't. He marches in and barges past all the other patients to demands to see his psychiatrist. He needs some help. And then he comes up, and he says to all the patients sitting there waiting to go and see the psychiatrist, and he says to them, he says... What if this is as good as it gets? <laughs> and the answer is, it's just not good enough. And so Solomon makes some applications. First about our work, how we should live, and then about God's work. Therefore, how we should live because of God's work. So let's look at them. Secondly, do the right thing at the right time, verses 12 to 15. Solomon tells us that he knows these two things. In verses 12 and 13, he knows what is best for us to do. And then in verses 14 and 15, he knows about what God does too. And first of all, we must do good, verses 12 and 13. His conclusion here is almost exactly the same as chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And we looked at that last time. The only difference is that here he adds this phrase, we should be happy and do good while we live. We have been created to do good. Some of us want to do nothing. And indeed, there is some super spirituality that thinks that if we're like Martha and we're busy, we're unspiritual, we should be like Mary doing nothing. <laughs> 
Some of us want to do nothing. Our goal is to retire easy or be a sleeper on British rail or sit in our garden or go on cruises and to flitter our time away. We're busy doing nothing, working the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. But this isn't success. This is a waste of the life that God has given us. Some of us want others to do everything for us. We want to be carried through life. We want all our burdens to be solved by others and all our pressures to be carried by others. Like chief vital statistics in the Asterix books, we want to be carried around. We want just to be carried through life. We want the church to solve all our problems. You know, we want people to just look after us. We want to remain big babies in our pram and have people to um, uh, feed us and change our nappies and push us around. But we're created to do good works. You are exactly who you are because God has created you in Christ Jesus. God has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. Are you artistic? Are you practical? Are you a thinker, a writer, a planner, a composer? Are you good with children? Are you good at teaching? Are you good at listening? God has created you just as you are to do good while you live, to do good works. And you need to do these good works. And so you need to find out what God has created you to do. And then you need to develop these gifts he's given you. And then you need to work with others where your gifts can help. But how do I know what my gifting is? You know, am I gifted at preaching? Or are people just too nice to tell me the truth and I'm stuck in this job? You know, how do I know what my gifting is? How do you know what your gifts are? Well, think back to when you were a child. Think back to the things you liked doing. Did you like to make things with your hands? Or did you like to play music? Or did you like to read books? Or did you like to organize things? Discover the kind of person you are. Think of those things that um, give you a buzz when you do them. Just work out how you are made, and then you can see what your gifts and abilities are. Talk to other people and ask them to be honest with you. And find out how you have been made. Uh, and then see how you can use these gifts and abilities to serve others. Too many of us have been pushed by our families or pushed by a sense of duty to do certain things. So my brother Andrew, who preached here, what, six months ago, being the eldest son and my dad being a doctor, he wanted his eldest son to be a doctor. So he got Andrew a place at the London Hospital. Andrew was always bright. He won all, you know, you always have brothers like that, don't you? He got all the, got the music scholarship, he got all the athletic uh, records, and then he got all the academic prizes. He was the thick one in the family. <laughs> now, he, 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 but because he fainted at the sight of blood, <laughs> he didn't want to go to medical school. And so he took his A-levels a year early, failed them all, 
took them at the right time, failed them all. Took them a third year, failed them all. Just said that he didn't go to uh, medical school, so my dad gave up. So he went to Leicester Poly and he studied um, textiles, and he he was the one who invented Duracell batteries to last longer and nappy liners and things like that. That's his gifts. Went off to China, spoke the language, did good work there. But he was being pushed to do what he didn't wasn't made to do, and we must be careful. We don't push our kids to do what we would like to do. Don't put your daughter on the stage if she doesn't like it. John Bunyan had to go to prison before he really started to do what God had for him to do. David Livingstone had to discover Africa before he discovered what God had for him to do. Moses had to spend 80 years before he really started to do God's plan. And after we have had years and years and years to mature, don't retire then. That's when we start, really, isn't it? To do good works. Invest your life in something that will help society. And us as a church, let's make sure we're a church that this community of Walton is pleased to have on this estate because we do good. We must do good. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Then, verses 14 and 15, we must live in awe of God. And here Solomon tells us God's works. They are eternal. I know that everything God does will endure forever. They are sovereign. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. And God will judge our works. Verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. God is going to judge us for our work. So what do we do? We revere him. There in the middle of end of verse 14, God does it so that people will fear him. We thought about this this morning, didn't we? What it means to fear God. In the Bible, the fear of God is not negative. To us, fear is always negative. All right, who fears spiders? Let's be honest. One, <laughs> two, three, yeah. Fear of spiders is a... Who, who fears um, mice? Anyone fear mice, yeah? Rats? Doctors? Dentists? <laughs> Operations? Flying in aeroplanes? Having a job interview? We fear these things. And fear uh, is negative, isn't it? But the fear of God is not negative, it's positive. It's like watching the lightning flash in the sky. Oh. It's like standing and hearing and, and feeling the rumble of the Niagara Falls. Like watching a golden eagle fly in the sky. Oh, it's awesome. God is awesome. And everything he does is wonderful. We can't understand it. But looking back, we see that God did everything in an amazing way. And the fear of God 
reverencing God. It means we stop thinking about ourselves as awesome. We stop thinking about our ideas as wonderful. We stop thinking about our wants as great. We stop thinking about our preferences as perfect. And we realize that we are nothing. We enter the world with nothing. We leave the world with nothing. A time to be born and a time to die. We are small and sinful. But God is great. He is in control of time and eternity. And so we live for him. We bow down before him. We revere him. When? Now is the time. Now is the day. For time and for eternity. So that people might fear him.